This is Matt Hurt at Obsessive Viewer on Twitter with a special episode of ObsessiveViewer.com's The Obsessive Viewer Podcast. And welcome to The Obsessive Viewer, where a movie and TV podcast that covers a specific topic, be it genre, trope, movie, or show each episode. You, you can find more of our work at obsessiveviewer.com, and you can also like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash theobsessiveviewer, and uh, check out our uh, live event at facebook.com slash shocktober in Irvington. Um, I don't have my notes in front of me, so I'm kind of freeballing it here, but... Um, yeah, it's uh, it's just me. The this episode is our kind of wrap up episode for Heartland 2018. Uh, that's the Heartland International Film Festival that just completed its 27th year here in Indianapolis, and this was our technically our third year covering it. I think um, we have episodes. Um, <laughs> dating back several years last year we didn't do you heard all this in the past in the last episode um but yeah so uh thank you guys for you know joining me here um here are my notes okay um yeah you can also find more of our podcasts at obsessiveviewer.com slash podcasts um so yeah so this is part four of our um coverage of heartland uh 2018 um Heartland Film Festival, man, it is just insane. It's so well organized, so put together just greatly. And they are, they have wonderful communication with, with media outlets, even little media outlet, outlets like us, um, at the Obsessive Viewer. Um, and this year, despite not having a lot of PTO in my day job, um, I was still able to do a lot of festival stuff, which I was super thrilled about. Um, I was able to see a movie with Tiny, um, who is always kind of, uh, always has kind of, kind of a shaky schedule. Um, and I got to see a couple movies with Kirsten, uh, who I got her a, uh, press pass for the first time this year. Um, and we also did the red carpet for awards night and, um, I did a bunch of press junkets and, and screenings and stuff. It's, it's been kind of crazy, especially coming right off the heels of Shocktober and Irvington, which, uh, our Shocktober and Irvington episode, which if, if this is your first time listening, Shocktober and Irvington is a one night event screening of short horror films from local filmmakers here in Indianapolis. Uh, we rent out a venue, we screen the short films, uh, uh, interview the filmmakers and raffle off prizes all to benefit the Irvington Historical Society. Um, we do that every year and we just completed our fifth year doing that. Uh, last, as of this recording, last Friday? No, the Friday before last. Um, I'm recording this on the 22nd. We did it 10 days ago on October 12th, which was also opening night of Heartland Film Festival, which is why we couldn't cover opening night. Um, so yeah. Uh, this, this year's Heartland Film Festival, I'm just going to go on record and say it was probably the best I've been to and, and best coverage that we at the Obsessive Viewer have had. Um, and I just, I, I love the festival. I love the atmosphere. I love the people, uh, that organize it. Like the communication is just ridiculously great. Um, and yeah, and 
I <laughs> I kind of dove right into all the press stuff. So I'm I was super thrilled with the interviews that we got in the uh the stuff we got. <laughs> uh so let's see. So this is part 4. Um if you want to listen to the previous three parts, just check the feed and and you'll find them all right there or go to ovpodcast.com. That's just our link to our master list. Um uh, archive with links to every individual episode, um, sorted out that way. Um, before, so basically this episode, what I should say, what I should have said a while ago, again, I'm just here on my own, so it's a little, it's a little dodgy here, but before, basically what this episode is, is the final, final episode of our Heartland, uh, coverage. It's part four. Uh, what you're going to hear in this episode is a, uh, my review of Care to Laugh, which was the closing night film of Heartland 2018. Um, a really great documentary um, feature from AARP Studios, uh, their first, their first full length, uh, feature length film. Um, it's a documentary that follows uh, stand up comedian Jesus uh, Trejo as he is kind of pounding the pavement of the. Uh, stand-up comedy scene in LA while also, um, being the caregiver to his, uh, septuagenarian parents. Um, very, very just beautiful documentary. And, uh, you'll hear my review later in this episode. Um, but you'll also be hearing a, uh, a, about 20 ish minute interview that I did with, um, Jesus Trejo, uh, Jeffrey Eagle from AARP Studios and the director, Julie Getz. Um, this, and I'll, I'll set up the interview, interview in a bit, but it was such a thrill to chat with them. Um, and it was, it was, it was just a really great night. They had their world premiere. The closing night film of Heartland was their world premiere. And, uh, it was, it went so well. It was, it was great. Um, I'm so thrilled for them and excited to see what, see what they do in the future. Um, but yeah, we'll get to the interview in a moment, but I do want to mention that, uh, awards night, there was a uh, awards night. Um, uh, let's see. Awards night was Saturday the 20th and I just want to mention, okay, so I got a press pass for Kirsten and, uh, she and I had planned like, okay, we're going to see a bunch of the movies and everything. And then we'll do like little reviews and everything and, and figure all that out. She's in, uh, rehearsal for a show that she's doing, uh, that's gonna be November 3rd at the Needhammer building in downtown Indianapolis. It's called Yellow Heat, um, Vincent van Gogh in Arles. Um, it's part of the Dionysia Short Play Festival. Um, I'm doing all of this from memory, so <laughs> I'll put a link in the show notes and everything. I'm really excited about it because, uh, it sounds like a great show. Um, but she's been in rehearsal for that, so <laughs> Monday through Friday, She's had to do rehearsals every day so throughout the festival, so we weren't able to see any movies during the week. Um, but we were able to attend awards night, and I just want to mention... Okay, so so just to kind of uh, um, set, set the stage here, Kirsten and I, we watch movies all the time, and uh, when I got her the press pass... Uh, since she'd been uh, kind of joining the, go- joining the, uh, the obsessive viewer here, she 
I, I was like, hey, w- are you going to be interested in doing like interviews with filmmakers or anything and everything? And she was like, kind of hesitant. She was like, I don't, I don't know. It's not. I've never really done that. So I was like, oh, okay. Well, that that's fine. Tiny's it, Tiny's not really comfortable doing it either. I'm I'm fine with it as you've heard in the episodes. So I'm like, okay, that's that's perfectly fine. Um, so we did the awards night and um, I went I went to the awards night just expecting like Kirsten to like be handing the microphone over and kind of like holding my notes and stuff being like kind of an assistant (laughs) on the interviews. Um, and I expected that even more because before we got there, before she came, she came over to my apartment and then we drove over to the, to the awards night at the, at Newfields. Um, she had said that she was not feeling well and she was like, dead on her feet the whole time (laughs) like she was she was not feeling well at all um but to her credit holy crap she uh she asked questions she like helped interview the filmmakers and it was just it was really great i I, like so i don't know if kirsten's gonna listen to this but well done i'm so so happy that you know she was able to um be so involved and also hats off to tiny who uh he and i saw the samuel project on thursday and uh i i convinced him to sit in my car for 45 minutes to record a review of the film so hats off to tiny and kirsten and uh yeah and so so yeah i was just really excited about that um so yeah, so the awards night, basically they had the awards like ceremony, but before all that they had a red carpet event um where they had about 10 filmmakers uh walking the red carpet interviewing the different media outlets. It was it was a blast. I I can't wait for you guys to hear the recordings here in a moment. Um but the actual awards night ceremony was really fun. Um I know that in years past they did like kind of a cocktail party kind of thing. Um, I never really attended it, so I, I, I don't know how like formal and, and, um, kind of awardsy it was, but, uh, at least I think starting last year they, they switched it up to be a, um, a, uh, the, the glow, the glow party, I guess, um, the glow awards night party. So it was very vibrant and they had like games and, uh, the food was delicious and, uh, they had Laura Steele from, um, I think she's with Wish TV and like a radio station here in Indy and, uh, emceeing the event and like they, they awarded, uh, I think a total of $80,000 to filmmakers. Um, just a really fun night and it was, it was great and I felt terrible because, uh, as like the awards were being announced and everything, Kirsten couldn't clap because she, basically not to go into detail or anything, but like she injured her arm in a way. So she couldn't like clap. So it was, it was, it was a fun night, but anyway, so that's awards night. I'm rambling a little bit. Um, what I'm going to do is I'm going to go ahead and throw it to my interview with Jeffrey Eagle, uh, Julie Getz and comedian, uh, Jesus Trejo for care to laugh, which is a AARP's, uh, film that closed out the Heartland Film Festival this year. And, uh, very, very just beautiful documentary. And also, um, if you are wanting, uh, or are, are in need, if you are a caregiver to someone and are in need of resources or trying to figure out, like, 
how to effectively be an effective caregiver, I definitely recommend going to a aarp.org slash caregiving. Um, it's got tons of really great resources and, uh, different things from like the basics of caregiving, um, having, getting tips about caregiving at home and, uh, how to prepare to be a caregiver. Like they cover the health and the financial and legal, um, aspects of caregiving and also uh, they provide tips for managing your own kind of health and time and everything. So anyway, go to aarp.org slash caregiving. Um, it's a great resource. If you find yourself in need of caregiving or in, uh, in a position where you are a caregiver to someone. Okay. So without further ado, here is my, um, interview with the filmmakers and star of care to laugh, which had its world premiere at Heartland Film Festival, it closed it out. It's a feature-length documentary about Jesus Trejo, um, a comedian working in California as he struggles to to uh, break in, not necessarily even break into the comedy scene, just just survive in the comedy scene while also taking care of his of his two uh, elderly parents. So, check out my interview with with the filmmakers and the star. Um, <laughs> I don't know how it sounds, but like we were outside of the tent of the closing night party and I felt so terrible because I did not anticipate how cold it was going to be. And we had just seen the film and I was, I just kind of, I, I like I had, I had a lot of questions and we ended up talking for like 20 minutes and I felt terrible because it's like freezing out there. So, um, but yeah, uh, the, um, Greg from Harlan brought us out some hot cider. So that was, that was very nice. But, uh, but yeah, so here is my interview with, uh, the people behind care to laugh. Enjoy. Is it recording? <laughs> All right. So I, my name is Matt, by the way, from the obsessive viewer podcast. And, uh, first of all, congratulations on the film. And, uh, Okay, so Jesus Trejo, yes, uh, the subject and and comedian, caregiver, all of the above of the film uh, Care to Laugh, which just had its world premiere tonight at Heartland Film Festival. Um, yeah, and uh, can you tell me about your experience with the film and uh, and fr- <laughs> very cold Indiana weather? Um, yes, it's very cold, um, <laughs> um, but I love it out here. And uh, yeah, the film Care to Laugh is a, a great film that uh, I was able to work on with uh, ARP Studios. And it came about uh, because uh, ARP Studios did a, an event for caregivers at the Hollywood Improv. And they invited out a bunch of uh, caregivers and they you know, made sure the proper arrangements were made for them to come out and enjoy a nice dinner and a night of comedy. And nice. the headliner that night was uh, Jim Brewer. Mm-hmm. And I was uh, I was opening for him, and you know, I go up there and I do my jokes, and you know, I, that's where I met uh, uh, Mr. Jeff Eagle here, and and it, it, it was cool to see how my material resonated in the room, and then shortly after they reached out, and you know, filmed a day in a life, and then it became this. So it's been it, it's been an uh, awesome, fun journey. So nice and. I've got to say the the film itself is just very uh, very heartwarming and uh, and just feels so earnest and I have to I have to commend you your work ethic and like everything like it seemed like such a genuine uh, 
I guess, portrayal of you that uh, it just felt so like it, it was very inspiring to see you work so hard at your comedy and show showcasing like the moments where you you have your doubts or your nerves. Um, it just seems like everything is just laid out bare in the film, and it's just something that I, I respect in a documentary, and uh, and also just. Uh, the fact that you're a caregiver to your parents is just is it's remarkable and just I uh, just have to commend you for your work ethic and it's Thank you. just inspiring to me. I I, I think uh, I think Julie Getz uh, did an amazing job of, of capturing that and and made my family and I feel so so comfortable that made it easier to open up. It was still hard, but it, you know it made it easier and 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 for that I'm grateful for it. Was just you know you know. Jeffrey Eagle and Julie Getz and the whole ARP team, their vision and seeing it kind of come to life tonight is, yeah, it's uh, yeah, really cool. And, and nice. I mean, yeah, yeah, it was <laughs> it was a hard process. I, I don't know, maybe Julie can tell you more of what that process sure. was like. The process of filming with Jesus. Um, well, I mean, kind of what you were saying, how we first met, and then it really was the idea is that when we fell in love with him, we knew that this was a story that we wanted to tell and share with the world. Nice. And we feel, I, I feel very honored and lucky that Jeffrey um, allowed me the opportunity to direct this. And um, really, we just, for a year, we just followed Jesus. We just, our best, you know, as a job as filmmakers, just try to not intervene and, mm -hmm. and just be flies on the walls and try and sure. tell the story as natural and as organic as we possibly can. Mm -hmm. And uh, we felt like it's an incredible message and nice. we hope that everyone who sees the film will love it and appreciate mm -hmm. it and be inspired. And if you're not a caregiver yourself, that you know somebody who's a caregiver and just reach out and help out when you can because it's not oh, always absolutely. easy. And uh, But, you know, Jesus does it with such grace. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Did you guys see uh, sure, Matt. Do you want you want to, you sure. want to reset a question, or do you sure, yeah. I, can, I can build off these guys. I mean, we've, sure. we've been we've all been so, practicing. Sure. So you uh, you were the producer on the film, correct? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. 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 Executive uh, producer. Yeah. Executive producer. And what I find so interesting about a documentary film in particular is that there's so much. I, I assume you guys had so much footage to, mm. to go through. And what what I found uh, particularly um, interesting to me about the film is like how it follows such a such a smooth narrative through throughout the year that you guys spend with him and just can you speak to how much footage you guys had and how like the how much how much time and, and how much of a if there was any struggle like committing it to like a narrative that uh, that to 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 great effect was a very smooth narrative experience for the finished product yeah I mean I can probably give the mic back to Julie I mean do we uh, do, yeah. we could talk terabytes or runtime I mean sure. there, but it, there was there was there was a lot um, <laughs> And uh, we asked Jesus. You know, Jesus was out there vlogging. Yeah, he's he was he was going back to to uh, early tapes. You know, in terms of nice. old photos. I mean, you know, when you tell a document about someone's life and you try mm -hmm. to capture it from, you know, beginning to now. Mm -hmm. um, there's a there's a lot to there's I mean your family you got a lot of pictures on the wall in that house mm -hmm. in your house right and there's like a story for each one of those but <laughs> I, I think um, it's all about you know documentary filmmaking and editing is all about choices mm -hmm. and structure we could have gone a number of ways mm -hmm. um, I just remember one thing that you said there's a there's a there's a sequence where Jesus talks about really not having time for himself really right. for, which equates to time for his comedy mm -hmm. and and there's a scene there's a cut scene that where Jesus talks about you know normally after an audition or after a meeting he said, "Look, I would go. Home, I would go to a coffee shop, mm -hmm. and I would write uh, nice. for hours, or I would go meet with my fellow comedians or writer, or, you know, co you know, my writing friends. Mm -hmm. But instead, he's hustling. He's hustling home." Yeah. 
to see how things are at home or to run to another yeah. appointment. And I, I think it's very, I mean, even, I think it's, it just, I've seen the film so many times and I'll just, mm-hmm. every time I, I, it's not like I see something new, but even your meeting with your manager mm-hmm. where you're literally, he's talking about your professional schedule, your professional life. And you're like, not that day, not yeah. that night, not that weekend. Um, and cause it's, it's about the choices. And I mm-hmm. think, you know, we, we, I mean, just your parent. I mean, there's a scene where his parents are in the back seat, mm-hmm. and for anybody who's a parent with toddlers, or or I mean, you just you know, you reversed it. And Jesus, again, I've said this. Jesus told those stories from the, on the stage the mm-hmm. first time we met him, and we knew there was just source material behind all of that. Oh yeah, there's you know, and just and it's. I, I just said, look, it's the film's about love of family mm-hmm. and the power of laughter. Oh yeah, and I think that uh, and we're we are Julie and I and our job at ARP Studios, we're trying to mm-hmm. personalize real issues and stories. Oh yeah. And there's 40 million caregivers, and Jesus is one, mm-hmm. and he's an incredible one. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we we we're forever grateful to his parents, and we fell in, we, yes we fell in love with Jesus. We fell in love with his parents. Mm-hmm. His friends came out of the woodwork to comment, nice. and I don't even know if he knows all this, but they 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 were like, where and when I will come and talk about this guy anytime. That's and even he shared tonight at the screening here at Heartland that mm-hmm. even as as they as we ask questions, they 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 deepen their understanding of what. He really was 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 doing, not dealing yeah. with or not struggling with, but just doing. Mm-hmm. So and that's and nice. so tons of choices. But back to oh, your yeah. question: is we had tons of footage. <laughs> yeah. Do you want to talk about how much footage? Choices. Oh gosh! I mean, look, it comes down to basic storytelling. There's a million different ways to tell a story. Sure. Right? We can oh, approach yeah. this in so many different angles and ways. And I can remember our board with all our different colored note cards and like, mm-hmm. should it be this act one, act two? Should the arc go this way and that way? Or we could do it this way. And and you just. Um, I don't know. And then we settled on it, and it just felt right. You know what yeah. I'm talking about? When you're making oh, a yeah. film, it's like all of a sudden it just clicks. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's what happened. It did. Well, nice. I was going to say, and then the ending revealed itself. I mean, oh, it, yeah. so we, we, we didn't know where we were going to take it and where right. we were going to go. But we were just going to follow Jesus' mm-hmm. story and, you know. It's nice. And, uh, and Jesus, if you, if, if you don't mind, uh, can you talk about your process for writing and, and for, for your stand-up? Like, I'm I'm someone who I, I really appreciate stand-up comedy. Yeah. It's something I can never do. Of course um, you can. And it's just, well, I appreciate that. But it's it's just, I, I love the craft of it. Yeah. Like, there's sequences in the film where, like, you like you, uh, the, you show the, the board or the, the the board where you have, like, okay, I'm, I'm going to write five minutes and this amount of time, and then by this amount of time I'll have an hour an hour special like can you talk about your process of creating your act and uh sure. and how it's evolved yeah it's like the saying is like a uh, uh shoot for the moon if you miss you'll be among stars i nice. I, I shoot very high mm-hmm. to say that i come up with five minutes a week is not realistic but sure. guess what at the end of that week i have two new minutes three mm-hmm. new minutes i might luck out and get pretty close to the five minutes yeah. then i go back and you know but I break everything down. I find comfort in numbers. So it's like every 13 weeks, that's a quarter of the year. And, you know, every week has seven days. And each day has 24 hours. And I just, you know, break down a bigger goal into a smaller goal that I can digest. You know, it's like I, I work better with smaller kind of goals to hit as sure. opposed to being overwhelmed and looking at standing at the base of Mount Everest going, well, how the hell am I going to get up there? Right. Instead, I'm like, all right, I'll put this foot here and this foot there and that's it. And then, you know, nice. you focus on the next thing. But just writing i mean writing i I write stuff on my phone just one word uh things that will trigger a premise in my head sure and then uh i work on a one-liner and then if i can get the one-liner to go it's almost like my my uh thesis statement you know Mm -hmm. in the first paragraph and then that turns into a longer bit but i'm always writing i'm always you know voice recording myself you know and 
Yeah, it's uh, it, it, it consumes every minute of every day in, right. in my head, which allows me to kind of deal with other things, you know? Yeah, and one of the things that I, I loved about the film was the way it showcased, like, the process. Like, you went through, uh, you went to, it was a Marty's, right? Yeah, where Marty's, you, the open mic in yeah. uh, West Hollywood. Where you uh, you worked out your, your set and everything in the lead-up to, to the Late Late Show. And it, it was just, I loved seeing that kind of depiction of, you know, w- taking notes and, and adjusting, like, cadences and everything. I, I just, I really appreciated that about the film. And uh, and yeah, so uh, can you? How about this? What what is? Who would you say is one of your biggest influences in comedy? And and the the. I mean, like if you had one comedian that's like, oh, this person's the reason why I do comedy. I'd say Richard Pryor. If it, if it was nice. just one person, and it's mm-hmm. Richard Pryor because he talked about being so vulnerable. He talked about his addiction so openly, yeah. and and all the things that were not going right in his life. You know. Um, but I look at guys like Brian Regan now or JB Smooth and just the physicality and how they break down a a premise and how they're able to find the you know second third beat of something in the act out and you know seeing that premise come to life of something so insignificant but making it a big deal about it is yeah. like yeah like I, I get I get inspired watching those guys and hope hope to operate at that level one day. Oh, yeah. I did notice in the film like the the uh, the depictions of your standup and everything you do bring a physicality to it that like it for me it killed every time it was oh great. thank you yeah um just the like the your movements and everything it was just it was really uh really great i, I really enjoyed the comedy aspect of it appreciate um, it yeah and so when you were approached to be you know a, a, in a documentary uh how did you feel about having you know cameras around you for a year and uh how did you did you how did you adjust to that process because i mean it they captured what feels like such a genuine like like uh you had such candor in the film like did you were you conscious of that or was it just like uh oh i'm just gonna do my thing it took some time i think initially when when you know there was the initial talks of like having cameras follow me for a year Mm -hmm. i had to kind of talk to my parents about it very hesitant and um there was definitely a few days that we took to kind of discuss it and digest what what that was going to be like and my parents came around to it but yeah i'm i mean it is hard it is hard you put so much of yourself out there and um yeah it's it's a lot but you know it's part of the story and the narrative and 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 people saw it for what it is raw sure in the uh the late late show i'm not i i don't want to give anything away in the film but you you are a big portion of the film is that you're preparing to for your first late night uh, talk show appearance, and like I just it, it's a credit to the film and, and to your to uh, I I don't hesitate to say performance like in the film, but like you, the depiction of you in the film le- in the lead up, just I was so there with you, like I was so oh. nervous, and then and then like it reaches such a great. Um, uh, payoff to it, so I just want to say congratulations. Really, thank you, thank you so much, yeah. man. I appreciate it. Oh and, yeah, and and, and yeah, uh, yeah. Can you speak to like how like was there anything that wasn't included in the doc that you felt like in the lead up to that or? I mean, I mean, there was some stuff you know back there, but you you know I I, I talked about it briefly. Like my dad, my my dad not understanding even while he was there what what the big deal was, and mm-hmm. you know just it, it was a different. It was a new setting for my parents, and you know, my dad took down a whole veggie platter by himself, and that was for the room. He's like, "You guys want anything?" And he's like, "Why do they keep bringing food?" It's like, "Oh, it's the green room," and 
you're the only one eating it. You know, it's like it's for everybody. You know, my managers, lawyers, there, friends, and and but it was cool. It was, it was that experience that I, I think we wasn't in there. But I mean, everything else is is so raw and 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 tells the story like what it was it was just like it's Absolutely. so raw yeah 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 oh yeah and you know julie and and, and team everyone it just oh, yeah. um you know the patience they must have had with our folks with my folks sure my team myself you know it's it it's uh it says a lot about you know the arp team you know it's like your patience and you know my parents are difficult i could be difficult and sure um you know getting tired long days and that kind of stuff and I mean, it's just I'm, I'm I'm very grateful that that they didn't you know punch me in the face or anything. So nice. And uh, with ARP Films, uh, like how how um, well what's next for you guys? I guess for ARP, it's ARP Studios, right? Sure. Well, we yeah. um, you know effect- we effectively launched uh, sort of a reimagination of ARP mm-hmm. Studios or storytelling mm-hmm. uh, with our digital series Dinner with Don. Okay. Last year on it's on YouTube nice. Dinner with Don with Don Rickles. We were the last production that Don Rickles did, nice. and it also put us in an interesting comedic place mm-hmm. um, where we just saw how much folks connect with different things comedy being one of them sure um and i think so yes so uh you know we have the we have the the, the most read magazine in the in the country and that's nice. got incredible source material wow. um but i think what we're trying to do is uh, caregiving is an organizational priority mm-hmm. um we, and julie and i our job uh, every day is to figure out how to personalize those stories how Absolutely. to tell how to tell stories and so um, we have a so so with with dinner with Don we we talked about comedy and reinvention and staying wow. with something staying with a piece of uh, passion. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a, Julie is also responsible for producing one of the one of our, our, our top performing podcasts called The Perfect Scam. Oh, nice! It's on the top two hundred on Apple Podcasts. It's all about fraud. Fantastic! It's called The Perfect Scam. Um, but I think in, in, for us, it's about trying to figure out what the story is and then match that. With a with a with a with a platform with a, with a sure. channel with a technology where are people listening where are pe- where do people need to hear this story mm-hmm. with Jesus as much as we continue to get from him and his family we started to move in that long form space mm-hmm. with dinner with Don we saw a snackable short 10 12 13 sure. minute piece Don and his friends um, on YouTube mm-hmm. with the perfect scam we're we're on podcast so it's mm-hmm. so it, it it will depend but we are absolutely you know seeing we had so much fun so much jo- so much joy making these issues personal oh yeah that we just we're we're, we're hungry for more nice. um, we'd like to do a, t- a care to laugh part two with jesus or anything else jesus wants to do <laughs> we want to be in the jesus trail business i am so uh, on board with that yeah, right, like, right, right, i'm right. so there like uh like uh like fast and furious you guys <laughs> yeah it's like it's it's, 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 it's just yeah. keep it going keep it going we may have to get ben involved but other than that oh yeah two um, laugh two but two yeah care. but I, I mean i think that that's what's next i mean we, nice. we can't stop oh yeah i mean we've got this oh yeah we, we have to we have to keep we have to keep uh keep grinding but Absolutely. i mean we, again we we arp is a, is a great organization i don't think that i'll just speak for myself mm-hmm. i don't think i realized when i first went to arp several years ago how many issues and stories there are and then yeah. all you know just you find a character you find mm-hmm. character and story you drive it towards what making something personal absolutely. something that really can connect and and i think when you you can feel it you as you did tonight Matt. oh absolutely just so exciting to hear nice. so um so that's what we're doing and we have some Great. projects that um much like jesus everything's top mm-hmm. secret Perfect. Uh, until further notice <laughs> but but i'm always excited to, that Great. we have new fans and and, mm-hmm. and new friends to oh, watch yeah. whatever's next for us. So thanks for nice. your interest. Oh, time. yeah, no 
problem. And I'll uh, I'll let you guys get back to the back, back to your party here for in just a moment. Just uh, this was the world premiere of, of Care to Laugh. Is it is there are there any other festivals or any like anything coming up that where people can find it? Absolutely. So nice. next up is Austin Film Festival. Nice. That's next week. Following that is Chicago Comedy, mm-hmm. and then Doc NYC, mm-hmm. and then. Um, they were just looking at other screenings. And they were looking at other screenings to fill out, other screenings. right, Sweet. 2018 in the beginning of 2019 and then going wider in 2019. Awesome. Can I just add one more oh, yeah, absolutely. No, so I, I think for us, you know, um, not a lot of people know this. I know We know this because we work at ARP, but November is actually nationally National Caregiving Month. Oh, really? Nice. So we wanted to activate it. We mm-hmm. wanted we wanted to make sure, uh, you know, to, we wanted this film to feel current. For one, mm-hmm. it's in Jesus' life and, and work right now and his family right mm-hmm. now. But we also really, really focused on trying to put it out this year. And it, it just, this film festival and the ones that Julie just mentioned allow us to play when caregiving is going to be in the news. Nice. It's part of the zeitgeist and part of part of the national awareness. So, um, so, it, so, it, so timing wise. But look, we're going to run this thing. As, we're going to keep playing yeah. for whoever's interested. And I think nice. try to figure out how we get a mass distribution so more folks can see it like yourself. Perfect. All right. Well, great. I'm so, uh, so glad to have seen it. And uh, so uh, excited to have it out there and everything and I'm, I'm sure people are going to love it when they see it sure can, and, I, can uh, I plug a yeah. URL can I plug a oh, URL for I, the film that was my next so, question so yeah so um, uh, I feel like I took the mic Julie do you want to say do you want to do you want to do the URLs in a very dramatic voice well it's lots of ways that uh, everyone can see the trailer um, and you can follow along on the film's journey as where, we, where we're going in the festivals any updates or news and that's aarp.org backslash care to laugh mm-hmm. you can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter um, uh, it's just Facebook Care to, care to laugh and Instagram care to laugh. So nice. And hey Zeus, where can we find your social media presence or uh, like any any uh, stand up dates coming up or anything? Yeah, uh, website is uh, www.jesustrejo.com and uh, there's a bunch of links there. I'm on uh, uh, Instagram at Jesus Trejo the number one and Twitter at Jesus Trejo. Perfect. Well, thank you guys so much for your time. Especially with it being so cold, <laughs> and uh, and uh, again, congratulations on on a spectacular doc, and uh, I can't wait to to see what you guys do next, and and you know, and follow your career, uh, Jesus as well. I can't can't wait. <laughs> thank you. So, All right. Thank you so oh, much. Yeah. Appreciate it. Bye yeah, bye. no problem. Thank you guys, yeah, and thank you, man. Yeah, and best of luck with the film going forward. Thanks. Yep, yeah. Thank you. Okay, so that was my interview with the filmmakers and the star of Care to Laugh. Um, I'm going to be reviewing it after, here later in this episode. Um, but again, go to aarp.org slash caregiving for tips about caregiving and, and how to become a caregiver to someone in your life. So uh, next up in this episode is a collection of interviews that Kirsten Kirsten and I uh conducted on the red carpet at the awards night uh event at Heartland. So this was at Newfields which was kind of Newfields is like the rebranding of the Indianapolis Museum of Art. It's a great venue and I'm I'm thrilled that Heartland has uh is is utilizing it too because it's a great place. They have the Toby Theater which I've talked about a lot here on the podcast in the past. Um it's a very beautiful little theater. Um but yeah, so these interviews were conducted um, October twentieth, Saturday, October twentieth. Um, you'll hear some familiar voices from some people that I interviewed in the previous red carpet episode. Um, but you'll hear a lot of other new voices as well from the film film festival. So uh, here are the red carpet um, 
interviews. Oh, <laughs> here are the red carpet interviews for Hardland Film Twenty uh, Film Festival Twenty Eighteen. I do want to mention that when you get to the live the stream uh, recording, um, <laughs> they had a baby with them. And it was the most adorable thing because the baby kept trying to grab the microphone from them. And it was, it was so, it was just so adorable. Um, yeah, I just, so you'll hear me kind of laughing a little bit as we're interviewing them. And it's, it, that's why it's because they, the baby was trying to grab the microphone and it was just, it was adorable. So anyway, uh, here are the red carpet interviews from Heartland Film Festival 2018 from their awards night red carpet event that was on October 20th, 2018. Hi there. Hi. Hi. Oh, fantastic. Doing well. Uh, how are you? My name is Matt from the Obsessive Viewer and this is Kirsten. Oh, pleasure. Uh, pleasure to have you. Yeah. Be with you guys. Uh, would you mind introducting yourself and telling us a little bit sure. about your film? Uh, I'm Dimas Salaberrios. This is John Shepard who... <laughs> produces uh, Emmanuel with us. Uh, mm-hmm. So we did a film on the church shooting that happened in Charleston, South Carolina. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. so wow. we followed that story from beginning to mm-hmm. completion where the families forgave and uh, Dylan Roof is sentenced, incarcerated here actually in Indiana. Wow. Uh, on death row. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's the name of the jail, John? Terra Hot. Uh, uh, prison and uh, just a privilege to be at Heartland, one of the best festivals in the nation. Oh yeah, yeah. So happy to be a part of that. <laughs> nice. Well, congratulations on the film. And uh, how's your experience been with Heartland? Is this your first time at Heartland? And it's my first, John. Okay. Yeah, we've uh, been a few times. I've got a few films that have won Heartland, and uh, nice. excited to be back. We did a movie called Snowmen a few years back, and mm-hmm. Bobby Jones' Stroke of Genius, and The Ultimate Gift. But this is the first real doc we've had, and I'm excited nice. about the response we've had. And it's uh, it's the festival is grown so much oh yeah it's incredible yeah oh yeah um yeah did you, oh, i was just gonna ask uh are you, uh, you excited about awards night and tonight tonight is the the awards night of, of the festival oh, yeah. are you excited for all of the events that are lined up and everything you know there's so many uh great films here mm-hmm. and I, I would hate to be a judge to have to choose through <laughs> yeah. it. Uh, and I'm purposely being magnanimous, but mm-hmm. I also hope that our film wins. Right. So we're in it to win it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that's what we're here from, from New York. John's from L.A. So oh, we have wow. a, a, a wide team covering America. Nice. But to, uh, to get the job done, we're meeting in the middle, right in the heart. Oh, yeah. You know, of the land. Nice. <laughs> yes. Um, knowing everything you know now, having your film at the festival, is there one thing that you could go back and tell yourself at the beginning of the process? Um, as far as movie making or, or spending time here at the festival? Movie making. Is there one, um, one thing that you could tell yourself? I would say that I'm very happy that we did a film that has great meaning, mm-hmm. that has impact on our mm-hmm. nation, dealing with racial reconciliation, forgiveness, and uh, and the ability to tell a story of the one city that didn't burn or riot. So I thought that's important not to just show the fire and the craziness that goes on and the extreme, but to also show uh, how the power of God and Christ made a difference in these people's lives to forgive and how that had an impact on the entire nation. And uh, and that was the only... um, Obama did the funeral, Mm -hmm. sung Amazing Grace there. I mean, that's a moment that's going to be historic. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was great to do something that's a part of history. Great, great. One thing I would tell myself at the beginning of this, um, 
I would not underestimate the power of story. You know, it's a fun thing about documentaries is you go and you don't know where it's going to lead. You think you know where you're going to go and where you're going to end up, and the journey is exciting, but you often end up in a place that's completely different. I would just say what this taught me really was we have work to do still. Uh, I have a lot to learn as a filmmaker. And um, I want to be more a part of these kind of stories because you're, you're really giving people the opportunity to tell something that needs to be heard. And no matter how reluctant they were, how hesitant they were, at the end of the day, they wanted the, the people, the family members, the victims' family members wanted this story out. And we got the privilege of stewarding that sort of content, releasing it to the, the world. Nice. Well, that that's fantastic. And once again, congratulations on the film. And I do have a question. I, I like to ask any documentarians I come across. Um, how did the project kind of evolve as as the as the project went on? Like, did you guys set out with a clear like idea of how you wanted it to go, or did you find more of a more of a story and theme in the editing as and as the story evolved in front of you? Well, I'll start and let Demos finish. You know, it, if stories and films like this are made three times, the first time you plan it, the second time you shoot it, the third time you edit it, right? Nice. So the planning, what I was involved in, was they went down and shot a trailer of what it was going to be. Mm-hmm. So you have this commercial that you out and raise money thinking, we're going to tell a story where everybody holds hand, and at mm-hmm. the end of it, they all sing Kumbaya, and everything's tied up in a nice bow, and it's, mm-hmm. it's such a happy film. And then they... How are you going to tell this story? Well, mm-hmm. it evolved because we didn't have an entree into that city. Mm-hmm. We're from Los Angeles. We don't know anybody right. in Charleston. And then Dimas Salaberrios, a pastor from New York, had been a first responder. So wow. our director knew of Dimas, and I'll let Dimas pick it up there. He knew the mm-hmm. families and gave us access, really. So for me, I had no idea that this would become a film. In mm-hmm. my heart, I just wanted to help the victims, raise money for them, care for them through this horrific crisis that Mm -hmm. one of the places that should be a safe space having a bible study amongst your peers Mm -hmm. in the church and then you end up with you know being shot and killed is uh is is just completely horrible so um but then to have the privilege to tell that story Mm -hmm. and to not like we're not making money off the story we we told the family members we're all the money that we would get as producers would be very significant. Mm-hmm. We're going to gift it to the families. Nice. So, um, so, so to be able to tell their stories and mm-hmm. impact more people with it uh, became uh, a huge opportunity. Yeah. That's remarkable, and and it sounds like a really, uh, a really powerful uh, documentary and, and message in it as well. Um, where can people find the film online on social media, and, and do you guys have any other film festivals lined up? Um, you know, one place they're going to be able to find the film is in theaters. That's <laughs> our that's our goal for it to oh, be yeah. in theaters in the first quarter of 2019. Nice. So um, that and do you have a website uh, that, that they can find it on? Yeah, I think they can go to arbellastudios.com, arbellastudios.com. They can find it. They can find things about it there, but they, there's no way you can find or see it unless right. you... I think we're doing just like uh, one or two more festivals then. Perfect. We're, we're not doing the festival mm-hmm. life, you know. Sure. Our mission is to <laughs> hit the world. Absolutely. Yeah, so, so, All right. So Heartland was important to mm-hmm. us. Uh, uh, some one or two others that I won't name right now are important sure. to us, but our focus is here. Heartland was uh, one that we wanted to get in, wanted to be involved in because of the reach that it and the, and the breadth of 
impact it gives. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You have a great president, by the way. Oh. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, well, yeah, thank you guys so much for, for chatting with us, and congratulations once again on the film and, and everything uh, going forward. And, uh, yeah, thank you guys so much. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. Thanks. 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 Hello. Hi. <laughs> yeah. I actually interviewed you guys uh, on uh, Wednesday. Yeah. How's, how's it going? Good. Uh, can you tell us uh, again about about your film and uh, and where we can find it online on social media? Uh, our film is called Live the Stream: The Story of Joe Humphreys. Uh, we had our last show screening on Thursday. We had a packed house. Joe did nice. a and A. It was awesome. Um, and. <laughs> Actually, uh, for social media, uh, we're at uh, facebook.com slash live the stream film. Uh, that's actually, you know, we want to push people there because eventually we'll be releasing the film and they can get updates and sign up for email and everything. So Nice. So how has the festival been for you? I mean, you said you had a, had a really great uh, screening and everything. Yep. Uh, how's your experience been with Heartland and are you excited about awards night? Yeah, no, I, I have to say our experience here has been wonderful because our audiences have definitely been so welcoming we've had either packed houses or sold out screenings which is awesome so yeah and all the feedback has been fantastic i think a lot of them everybody thought it was like a fly fishing film and all the reaction is i can't believe it was so emotional and inspirational right so and then with joe being there i think it was you know just kind of added to things so we've our feedback has been outstanding we, we actually got pushed out of some of the theaters because everyone <laughs> oh, really? wanted to talk to joe oh that's so, awesome yeah i know it was great yeah it was a it, like because i got to speak to joe uh at the first uh, red carpet yeah. on wednesday and yeah. like that was such a treat like yeah. like that was one of the that was that was such a one of the highlights for me is, yeah so he seems like just such a such a cool guy yeah <laughs> very very interesting yes yeah. he yeah. yeah. I mean, he's definitely he's he's called a legend mm-hmm. for a reason i mean he really is he's Oh yeah, he's one of a kind. When you meet him for, <laughs> you meet him for a couple minutes, and you'll remember him for a lifetime. Nice, so, nice. Yeah. And I think uh, my co-host Kirsten had some questions for you. Sure, sure. okay. Yeah, um, can you tell us what the biggest obstacle or the biggest challenge has been to get where you are today? Um, well, one of the biggest obstacles with filming, I guess, we actually had so much footage. It, the actually post-production was it was really tough just to, to put everything together. Mm-hmm. Um, because we had so many, Joe had so much different things going on, so it was hard to really pick the like the most per- perfect parts of the film. Um, but I mean, I, I would definitely say for us, we're a completely self-funded film, so that's I mean, it's it's been extremely difficult for us. So we, we don't have any sponsors. We we have backers. We did a crowdfunding campaign that was extremely successful, um, and we're so thankful for our crowdfunding campaign. But besides that. It's the crew that you see right here that did the entire film. So we were a small, small crew and self-funded. That's great. So so going back to the beginning of the process, if there was one thing you could tell yourselves, knowing everything that you know now, what would it be? Well, originally when we started filming, we thought we'd film for like five or six months and end up being almost three years. So. Oh, my gosh. So <laughs> I guess that, wow. that would have been it. Because Joe is always constantly saying, let's do this, let's do that. And... Um, uh, I don't know. I don't know what I... I guess maybe, like, for us, cause we, since we did everything ourselves, it would have been maybe, like, probably bring maybe a few extra people in just to help with, like... Because, like, we're starting to realize how much the social media aspect and, like, you know, finding distribution and everything is how important it is to our film. So, you know, we just couldn't do everything, and now we're into that phase, and we wish we kind of started that three years ago, you know? Yeah. You know, so... 
to build up a following and everything for, for us. So. Great, great. Well, that's fantastic. And your story is one that's like, I'm sure will resonate with a lot of aspiring filmmakers, like being completely self-funded and really yep. kind of just going for it. Um, on that note, do you have any advice for people that are wanting to make a film uh, that don't really know if they... Uh, if they have what it takes or, or they think that they need a, a big production behind it? I mean, for, first off, it, it, you have to have a strong subject. So for us, we are extremely lucky to be following Joe Humphreys yeah. um, because he resonates with so many different ages and audiences and his story is a story that I feel like everyone will want to hear and listen to because it, it really is a story for for everyone. So the subject first, right? And then if you're going <laughs> to do a documentary and self-fund it all yourself. Wear a lot of hats? I don't know. <laughs> no, sure. no, no more than one specialty. Yeah, yeah. and have, have strong crew members with you. So, you know. Nice. Great. And where can we find Live the Stream, uh, like the social media presence once again? Uh, right now, uh, you can go to livethestreamfilm.com is our main uh, official site. And then uh, facebook.com slash livethestreamfilm. And then we're Instagram, we're live the stream. So those are the, th- the three main things. And if you guys sign up, and eventually we're hoping to release a film in the next few months. So Perfect. Yeah. Great. Well, thank you guys so much for chatting cool. with us. Thank you, guys. And uh, congratulations once again on the film. Thank you so much. Best of luck going forward. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Hi. Hey. All right. Hi, guys. Okay. Yeah. I actually interviewed you guys a couple days ago. Yeah. Other we, listened to your, we listened to it. Oh, did you? Yeah, wow. I saw, it, I saw it pop up on social media. Oh, so perfect. Oh. Yeah. Well, thank you. Yeah. Um, so, Sorry to disappoint you. I know. No, right? <laughs> if you got any new things to lob at us, you know. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, we're happy to talk. <laughs> perfect. All right. Well, why don't you go, guys go ahead and introduce yourselves for the podcast again and, and tell us about Bullet County. Sure. Uh, I'm Josh Reedford. I'm the producer of Bullet County. I'm David McCracken. I'm the writer, director, and I play Keaton in the movie. And Bullet County is an action thriller set in 1977. Uh, it's about these four friends that reunite after 10 years for a, a bachelor party. They hear about this legend of buried prohibition money somewhere out in the middle of Kentucky, in the uh, the middle of the Bluegrass Bourbon Trail, and they set off in search of it. And things don't go the way they plan, and everything spirals out of control. And well, it's it's pretty grim. Oh yeah, <laughs> but also great. It does get, as I said when I interviewed you guys before, it does get good to some dark places and one thing that I didn't think to ask you guys and I'm so glad I get the chance to ask you again um, it has such a good blend of like comedy and thriller aspects to it and was there anything in the film like when you guys were filming it was there any room for like improv or like any kind of uh, improvers in, improv throughout the filming process, or was it kind of just a stick to the script kind of production? Um, it was actually uh, I encouraged improv uh, because every one of our actors is actually a, co- a comedy actor first. Nice. So we knew that the subject material, especially and okay. script level, uh, got some got dark, and uh, we always wanted to kind of look at it a, a kind of a sideways dark darkly humorous sort of angle and so that's why we we cast all comedy actors um but yeah improv it was i encouraged it uh but honestly we we generally just stuck to the scripts there was maybe a line or two i think honestly i was probably the most heavily improving one just because i couldn't remember my lines <laughs> so uh so um 
<laughs> yes, exactly. So, um, but yeah, it was we 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 actually worked out a lot of kinks prior. We were able to have a couple months of rehearsal, which I yes. always encourage filmmakers if you can, because once you start shooting, it's just like run and gun. Yeah. And uh, so that was like we. I, I would say if there was improv, it was done at that stage, and then I wrote it into the script, oh, so it was nice. kind of worked out already. Great. And I think my co-host Kirsten has some questions for you. Sure. sure. Yeah. My first question is that a Star Trek tie? Uh, it's a uh, blueprints for the Millennium Falcon. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, my next question uh, is about the film. Um, can you tell we us can just what, talk about uh, Star Wars? Yeah, Star Wars. That's fine. Don't listen to the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, You're Trekkies, aren't you? Can you tell us uh, what the biggest obstacle or the biggest challenge was, either in filmmaking, editing, getting to the festival? What would the biggest challenge have been getting where you are now? Um, I think uh, just straight up, like like most independent filmmakers, the biggest challenge is money. Yeah. Um, and it, that was an ongoing process. I mean, it was kind of... You know, we started out, we got enough to get through production, and then we had to do a giant Kickstarter to get us through post, and then we had to do even more to get us through the festivals, and it just never ends. Um, you know, you always hope that somebody's going to come along and just write you a million-dollar check and say, hey, go do your thing, and that doesn't happen. Um, but, I, again, like David said, you know, with, with advice for other filmmakers, just keep going. You know, I, it, it's, it'll, it'll happen, and sometimes it just takes you longer than you think. But uh, for me, as a producer, that is absolutely the hardest part. No, that was hard for me, too, because we couldn't make it without money. So there you go. And at least we live in an age of technology where you have the ability to do that. Yeah, yeah. And, and like Josh was saying, as far as like working hard, I think a lot of it is, you know, that's really how you build a team and how you get people to throw in money is that they see how excited, hard working yeah. you are and they can sense that and they'll they'll know, well, if I do these sacrifices, if I move to Indiana for a month to shoot this movie, if I write a check, it's gonna it's gonna go to a good place and it's gonna Great. pay off and now we're in Heartland, so it did pay off. Awesome. All right, well, thank you guys so much for, for chatting with us. And, uh, again, congratulations on the film. I, I said this before, but I, I really enjoyed it. And uh, I'm so excited for you guys and, and for, you know, what you guys do next. Um, thank you. Yeah, Thanks so much. Yeah, no problem. And, uh, once again, can you tell us where we can find uh, Bullet County online and uh, Mr. Pictures on, online as well? Sure, sure, sure. Uh, you can find Mr. Pictures on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Mr. Pictures Film. Uh, you can find Bullet County uh, next week, October the 26th. It opens nationwide in theaters uh, in seven cities, and hopefully, depending on how that goes, maybe more. And then if you can't catch it in one of your cities, uh, you can see it on VOD in February. Nice. Well, congratulations again, and uh, best of luck going forward. And, uh, yeah, thanks for chatting with us. Thanks again. Thanks. Yeah. Thank you, guys. Thank yeah. you. Oh, okay. Hello. Hi. How are you? Oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah. We're Matt and Kirsten. We're from the Obsessive Viewer uh, Excellent. podcast. Uh, would you mind introducing yourselves, or yourself and yeah. uh, telling us about the films? You bet. My name's Don Hahn, and I'm the producer and director and writer of uh, Howard, which is a story about Howard Ashman, the lyricist who wrote the songs for Little Mermaid and Beauty and the Beast and probably Aladdin and all the, song, all the movies you grew up on. Nice. Yeah. That's great. And uh, congratulations on the film. Thanks. And, and for being here at Heartland. Um, you, how has your experience been with Heartland? What's your history with Heartland as well? 
Well, it's funny. I've been coming here for on and off for 25 years. I had a film here last year. I had a film about six years ago here, so about, about veterans returning from Afghanistan. I had a film about 10 years ago about a photojournalist. So it, I, I love it, and I don't know why. I'm, not, I'm from Chicago originally and live in L.A., but for some reason the people are great and the festival is well run, and I like coming back here. It's just always a great audience, and uh, it's very appreciative of filmmakers, which is, I think, why we all come here. Yeah, I've, I've definitely gotten that vibe from just covering Heartland for the last several years. It's, yeah. It's great, and it's great that, as press, like we get the opportunity to interview people like you. Sure, like, yeah, yeah. It's, it's really remarkable. Great. Um, yeah, and so uh, are you excited for awards night? And, uh, and, and, uh, yes, we've been guaranteed that we would win lots of awards. No, I'm just lying. <laughs> I'm like totally lying right now. Um, yeah, of course. It's a confident lie. Um, but no, we're of course, you know, it's nice. The, the best thing about it, though, I have to say is meeting other filmmakers because we all live in dark rooms all year long and uh, they really let us out and so when they do it's really fun to be able to kind of meet other people and realize they have the same problems that you have and the same issues about storytelling and you know financing and cameras and the whole thing and I love it I mean this is my film's a documentary and I'm used to doing animated films so it's a real different kind of uh, milieu to a a different sandbox to play in Uh, but I love it because of that because it's so different and uh, I think you have some questions for um, Can you tell us how long in the making was this film? Um, we worked on it for a little over two years. It's a, it's an odd film because it's made almost entirely out of um, <laughs> recycled paper. No, it's made almost entirely out of... Sorry, it's late. Um, made almost entirely out of um, found objects and, and scrapbook material and archival material from the 80s and 90s. Old scratchy videotape, old recordings, that kind of thing. So it's not like I had to go out in the field and you know film in war zones or chimpanzees or something like that. It was uh, really about the research. So we started at the Library of Congress where Howard's papers are kept, um, went to relatives' houses, interviewed, talked around, and kind of got our backstory together, uh, and then came back to our editing room and started to assemble it all. So that was a two, two-and-a-half-year process. Well, if, if you could go back um, to day one of, of filming, yeah. go back to day one of this process, what's one piece of advice or encouragement that you would like to give yourself? Um, you know, it's always about persistence because you, uh, documentary filmmakers are, make, are real treasure hunters. You're trying to find that one photo you're missing or that one story you're missing or that one interview of the g- guy or girl you never thought of. So it, you have to persist all the way through the end, all the way through post. I mean, on this film, we got a, a, a piece of audio in three weeks before the movie was finished. Finished, and and somebody called up and said, "We have this recording of Howard at this press junket for Little Mermaid in Orlando. Would you like to hear it?" And I like leapt through the phone and said, "Yes, please." Um, so if you can persist, it's um, it's a great art form, and it's a golden age of documentaries right now. There's so many great documentaries out there. Well, that's great. Congratulations again on the film. Thanks, you guys. I appreciate it. Yeah, and where can we find uh, Howard on social media? Uh, In my hotel room. And then also, (laughs) um, we do have a a, um, howardmovie.com, which has all the information about screenings and things. Uh, And then we're out theatrically in December in New York and L.A. And then beyond that... um, Disney's going to distribute the movie on their new streaming service because Disney's starting the streaming service right. to compete with Netflix mm-hmm. uh, and they've been really interested in the movie so luckily they're going to pick it up which is something that documentary filmmakers dream of Oh, absolutely! and I feel like a lucky man nice well congratulations on that that's that's incredible thank you and uh, yeah thank you so much for chatting with us and it's a pleasure luck going forward is it going to be at any other film festivals uh, or is it um, yeah we will we have a few coming up none of which come to mind right now but we started at Tribeca back in April and um, we're you know it's always 
fantastic to be invited to any film festival. And so when somebody like uh, Hartland calls up and says, would you come and show your movie? It's like, yes, of course, we'd be honored. And um, like I said, the audiences are so warm here. It's really a pleasure. Nice. Well, congratulations again. Thanks, you guys. Best of luck going forward, and uh, it's been a pleasure. Same here. Thank you so much. Thanks. Uh, we are recording. All right. Cool. Uh, hi, my name is Matt, and this hi. is Kirsten I'm from Brock. the Obsessive Viewer Podcast. Uh, would you mind introducing yourself and telling us uh, about the film? Yeah, I'm Brock Williams. I'm a producer on the film uh, On Her Shoulders. Uh, on Her Shoulders follows Nadia Mirage, She just won the Nobel Peace Prize, but she's a Yazidi survivor and activist. Uh, the film follows her on a tour uh, speaking to media and politicians and governments and um, and trying to spread the word and get help for her people. The Yazidis have been facing a genocide at the hands of ISIS for the last three years or so. Wow. Well, congratulations on the film. And uh, it's one that I, we haven't gotten a chance to see it yet, but it's been kind of high on uh, my radar, at least, because it looks just incredible. Um, can you speak to your experience with Heartland? Is this your first time at Heartland? This is my and first time here. How's it been going? It's great. Yeah, it's been, it's been a great experience. And uh, Alexandria Bombach is the director of the film. Mm-hmm. And she, her first feature played here, so she really wanted nice. to be here. But the film, our film, opened this weekend in New York, so she has to be in New uh, York at it for all of the press and theatrical sure. screenings there. So I came to the festival, but she would have loved to be here. She had her first feature here, and was nice. this best, yeah. Um, so can you tell us about the beginning of the, the um, what, what inspired the project and kind of what uh, brought everyone on board for it? Yeah, so the production company, Riot Films, uh, they were approached by Elizabeth Schaefer-Brown. She's a co-producer on the film. She works closely with Nadia and her team. And Elizabeth uh, met them and, and came to them and said, you know, somebody should make a documentary about Nadia. And they originally were going to make a short film. They called Alexandria to, to direct a short film about Nadia. And she got on. A, she got the phone call, and I think a few days later was on a plane and mm-hmm. met the team in New York and started filming and following them on this whirlwind wow. tour in New York and Toronto and other parts of Canada and Greece and Germany. And um, during the process of filming, Alexandria realized that it really needed to be a feature film. Mm-hmm. So she called me. I, we had worked together. I was a, a consulting producer on her first feature, Frame by Frame. Okay. And I came out of the project at that point as it was kind of fleshing out into a feature film and, mm-hmm. and saw the process through to the end. Yeah. Nice. So, um, wait, I, hang on. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, uh, can you speak to the experience of being a producer on a on a documentary, really? Because um, when when I think of producer, I think of like you know, I think more of the narrative side of things and how producers work and like the producer role is in a narrative feature. Mm-hmm. But when you have a documentary where you have a bunch of different materials that you'll be filming and, and editing and everything, I feel like that can be kind of a more open form kind of producing for lack of a better word can you speak to the experience of producing a a documentary film it is uh, much less well defined or strictly defined I mean there's uh, all sorts of things that can come up when producing a documentary that's true fiction as well but more uniquely in documentary it's really anything can can happen Um, so you have to be prepared to kind of handle any obstacles that come up in this film there was a lot of um, we had to work really hard to find someone who could translate the footage because the languages spoken are really Ah, unique. There are not that many people that could speak all of the languages in the film and that also speak English well and they could translate and that was a big challenge and we worked with several different translators in different parts of the world. Um, We had a lot of archival footage, news footage and other sources, um, UN um, 
footage that we licensed or some of it was fair use so there was a lot of, of rights things to figure out on the back side and a lot of random you know things like that and then also just the logistics of filming at places like the UN and getting permission to do stuff like that yeah nice yeah. and I think Kirsten has some questions for it um, so this seems like a really important film that needed to be made obviously the subject matter and the content are very important what is the biggest challenge or obstacle that you found getting the film from day one to where it is today ready to show mm, there were a lot a lot of obstacles um, on the one. film I, well I don't know that I can pick one I mentioned the translations that was really difficult um, man one obstacle I don't know I don't know that I can I mean I will say Alexandria that she was the director and the cinematographer and the editor and she yeah she's spoken a lot and, and written some things recently since the film came out this weekend in new york there's been a lot of press recently she has talked a lot about how challenging it was to make the film and and in large part it made her question her own role as a documentarian because everyone that she saw was asking for something from nadia everybody needed something from nadia and everybody was putting this pressure on her and putting all of their hope on her and all of this, this burden on nadia and alexandria realize that she was kind of doing the same thing by, by being there and filming this documentary about her and she has said in several times that it um, made her rethink you know her entire career and her job and wow. like really examine look inward and examine like the role that she plays as a documentary filmmaker and I think that's why people see you know I think that's what's special about the film that people see she won the directing award at Sundance for this film it's amazing and I think that's a, something that people see in the film that's really unique is it's not just a film about Nadia and about mm-hmm. survival and, and about the Yazidis it's also a film about kind of how we package and tell stories of victims and yeah, and yeah. how we you know as filmmakers or media are affecting the people that we tell stories about and kind of yeah, explores a lot of that so so now here you are at the end of the process is there one thing that you wish you knew going into it that you could tell yourself now oh man mm, it's gonna be hard <laughs> <laughs> a lot of things. <laughs> yeah, that's what I would tell myself is that it's going to be hard. Oh yeah. <laughs> I would just tell myself to prepare for how grueling the process. Is. I mean, it's hard to make any film, but there was a lot with this film that was uniquely challenging, and and it's 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 difficult subject matter too. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if that's a good answer. No, but, that's a great answer. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, thank you so much for chatting with us. And once again, congratulations on the film. Um, is it going to be, you said it opened in, in New York. Um, it, are there plans for distribution going yeah. forward? It opens in L.A. next week, and then it'll be rolling out to more theaters. It plays in D.C. and then I think Seattle and Santa Fe. There's a handful of theaters. It's like, I think, 15 maybe cities so far. They're all listed on the website. It's onhersholdersfilm.com. And it'll be on PBS, on POV in the spring, and it'll eventually it'll be available for streaming and all of that. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for your time. And again, congrats on the film. And uh, congratulations on, on everything going forward, and best of luck. Yeah, thanks a lot. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah. Here you go. All right. We're Matt and Kirsten from the Obsessive Viewer Podcast. Uh, Hi, guys. <laughs> would you mind uh, introducing yourself and telling us about the film you're here for? Uh, sure. I'm here with two films. Uh, so my name is Natalie Metzger. I am the co-director and producer of Alone in the Game, which is a documentary following LGBT athletes. Mm-hmm. And then I'm also here um, as the producer of Thunder Road, mm-hmm. um, which is a finalist tonight for um, Best Narrative Feature. And uh, that one uh, is about a Southern cop who uh, just recently lost his mom and gives a very awkward, funny eulogy um, where he dances and sings to Bruce Springsteen's Thunder Road. Nice. Exciting night for you then. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Ceremony. Oh, yeah. yeah. 
Um, yeah, so how's your experience been with Heartland? Is this your first time at Heartland, and uh, how's it been for you? Yeah, it's been um, amazing. There is a um, hospitality and a support for filmmakers here that I haven't always experienced at other festivals, and so that's been really lovely. And um, it's my first time to Indiana, and it's oh, wow. uh, such a nice. like such a cool, uh, Indianapolis is such a cool city. I've mm-hmm. been like exploring a little bit of the downtown area, and um, yeah, it's been beautiful, and, and like so so warm. Like Everyone mm-hmm. has been so uh, welcoming. Nice. Well, that's great to hear, and we're super happy to have you here. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, so, how are you? Are you excited? Nervous? Uh, like going into awards night? How How are you feeling right now? I'm. I'm. I'm excited. Um, I'm, I'm mostly excited just like to hang out with other filmmakers mm-hmm. and, um, and watch people like, get rewarded for all the work that they put in. Mm-hmm. Um, we've, we've had a lot of success with Thunder Road and, and yeah. gotten a lot of awards. And so, so I'm not, you know, it's, if, if someone else wins, great, you mm-hmm. know. And if we win, that's, that's also wonderful. Um, but, yeah, but I'm mostly just excited to, like, watch people get, get their accolades and to hang out with other filmmakers. Nice. That's great. And I think Kirsten has some questions for you. So you're wearing a couple different hats here. Um, can you tell us, is there a one challenge or obstacle that you've faced getting either of these films from day one to where you are now able to show them? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, the the sports documentary, I think, was one of the hardest ones um, to make. That was a two-and-a-half-year process wow. of... Um, filming and uh, post was a very long process for that one um, we had we followed all these amazing athletes these college athletes high school athletes and professional athletes and then we got interviews with like Adam Silver the NBA commissioner with um, the head of ESPN like all these like bigger people but that took a really long time yeah. to, to get to them and to get those interviews um, so that was a long process and because we had so many different athletes that we had followed trying to weave all those together in the edit was a really careful process sure um, but uh, but yeah, and then making Thunder Road was actually really fun. Like it was it was like summer camp. We shot in Austin, Texas, and we all just like the whole crew like just headed out there, and we all stayed in a giant Airbnb and just filmed inside the Airbnb. Great. And um, yeah, we called it like summer camp. Wow. So then, uh, going back to day one of both of these films, if there was one thing you could tell yourself, one thing that you wish you knew going into the process, what do you think it would be? Um. For Thunder Road, I would say uh, to enjoy the process more. You know, it's easy as a producer to get stressed out by all the logistics and, like, making sure everything happens on time and on budget. Um, But I I wish that I had uh, uh, let myself kind of stop and smell the roses a little bit more and and enjoy the process because it's a really short process compared to the distribution process and post process. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, I guess uh, enjoy the moments more. And then for Alone in the Game... Ooh, I don't know. <laughs> that one maybe uh, get an editor to start earlier on a documentary. Oh, that's useful. <laughs> yeah. Um, great. All right. Well, thank you so much for chatting with us. And again, congratulations on, on both films and uh, best of luck going forward. Where can we find both Alone in the Game and Thunder Road online, like social media presence and everything? Yeah. So um, Thunder Road, if you go to thunderroadfeature.com, you can see um, it's in theaters right now. So um, you can find it um, in a city near you. Um, and then Alone in the Game, um, it's available on DirecTV now. Um, nice. So And then both films have Facebook pages that just have the titles of the, of the films, Alone in the Game and Thunder Road. Perfect. All right. Well, thank you so much. And uh, congrats and best of luck going forward. Thank you so much. Thank you. Hi. Hi. Okay. Hi. How are you guys doing? Hello. We're Matt and Kirsten from Obsessive Viewer. 
Yep. <laughs> Great to meet you guys. Hi. And uh, could you introduce you guys uh, yourselves for the podcast and tell us a little bit about uh, what you're here for? Sure. Uh, my name is Deva Wizenant. I'm the director of Bathtubs Over Broadway. And Steve Young, the subject of Bathtubs Over Broadway. <laughs> nice. And uh, the film follows Steve as he's... Um, he's been a comedy writer or was a comedy writer for Dave Letterman for 25 years and along the, the way of doing that job he stumbled onto these crazy corporate souvenir albums from industrial musicals <laughs> so uh, I had no idea what this was really nobody does and, and now the movie is telling the world but there used to be they essentially sounded like and looked like Broadway shows but they were written for and performed for audiences of uh, dealers and salesmen and distributors, Ford tractor dealers, B.F. Goodrich tire dealers, McDonald's, Westinghouse, General Electric. So it was a a huge, crazily well-produced world of musical theater that the public could not see and did not know about, and I accidentally found it, (laughs) went off finding as much as I could, and along the way started meeting the people who did these things. And as Deva tells the story, my life changed as I made these unexpected emotional connections with people. So it's hilarious and weird and surreal and bizarre, and then it's very powerfully touching. Nice. And uh, I, just I've, I've, I know that there's a lot of archival footage from, from when, when you were writing for Letterman and everything. Like how, uh, how did you guys go through the footage and, and create the documentary as from there? There are a few key. Um, key clips that we found along the way um, one was from our favorite show The Bathrooms Are Coming and so once you have that you know you, you got gold you don't, but um, we found some other great ones like Purina and what else can you think of? Oh the General Electric musical Got to Investigate, investigate Silicones that's a good one. Most of these archival footage pieces came from the composers and performers this stuff was not out in the public in any form this is all completely subterranean yeah there's stuff in this movie that really has never been seen or collected or used in any form before nice and i think kirsten has some questions for you um could you tell us uh any big obstacles or challenges you've had from going from day one to getting the film where it is today ready to show Sure, yeah. I mean, the hardest thing was raising the money and pitching the project because it's about this crazy hidden world that nobody (laughs) knew existed and trying to get people to see what we saw in it. (laughs) Was it first a challenge? Um, But then once we started shooting and people could see what was actually happening with Steve and these people, then it was like, oh, okay. And finally, we got the money to do it. But that that was the biggest thing. Tracking down some of these people was kind of hard. Sure. Um, And, uh, yeah, what would you say the hard part was? Hard part, uh, well, I, I feel like I had it easy, actually. I mean, she's the one who sweated blood for four years, organizing it, planning it, shooting it, then editing it, doing all the business. I, it, it just is very daunting when you realize what independent filmmakers are up against to get something done that is as good as you want it to be. There are not that many people who land the plane as uh, elegantly as Deva has done. Thanks. Well, great. So, so you said it took four years to make this film. If you could go back to day one, if there was one thing you wish you knew going into the process, what do you think it would be? Wow, you ask really great questions. Thank oh you. my God, um, what would I change? I don't know. If would I would know. I know exactly. I would have immediately tried to interview Michael Brown okay. because one of our favorite composers. Mm-hmm. 
passed away just as I was starting, and I didn't know oh. that he was in the shape that he was in. And so that was that's the one thing I would change. I would immediately go and interview him. Great. Well, thank you guys. Yeah, thank you guys so much for chatting with us, and congratulations going forward. How are you feeling going into awards night and, and the end of the festival here? I mean, we are feeling great. Our screenings were so fun. The audiences here at Heartland are amazing, just so enthusiastic, and we feel like people got the film. And so whatever happens tonight, you know, at least that's the thing. The film is resonating with people, which makes us really happy. So thank you for having us. Yeah, absolutely. And if I may, just uh, growing up, I watched, like, The Late Show with my, with my family, like, pretty much any time that I could stay awake long enough. So I just want to just say thank you for helping shape my sense of humor, as it were. So, uh, yeah, well, it was yeah. my pleasure. And uh, we're very <laughs> proud that Dave Letterman has the involvement with this movie that he does. He is in it, and he's an executive producer. He was a great supporter of the project. Perfect. Great. Well, thank you guys so much. And where can we find Bathtubs Over Broadway? Like social media and everything. Oh online? yeah, that's the, it's got the whole empire now. It's you know the <laughs> bathtubsoverbroadway.com and uh, what else? All the same thing. But Bathtubs Over Broadway, and we'll we're about to announce some big news. So please Perfect. follow us on Facebook, Instagram, awesome. well, Instagram, and Twitter. The whole thing. It, we we're full service. Perfect. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you guys so much, and best of luck going forward, and uh, congrats on the film. Okay. Thank you so much. Great chatting with you. Thank you, guys. Hey. Hello. Hey. This is Jenny. Hi. Nice to meet you. Oh, thank you so much. Hey. <laughs> Hi. We're Matt and Kirsten from the Obsessive Viewer Podcast. Nice to meet you. And uh, nice to meet you, too. Would you mind introducing yourself for the podcast and telling us about the film you're here for? Sure. My name is Jenny Moeller. I'm the co-director and co-writer of Radium Girls. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, okay, come on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so it's a narrative feature film about teenage factory workers in the 1920s who painted glow-in-the-dark watch dials with radioactive paint and were taught to lick the paintbrushes straight. And they got very sick, and the company covered up research, and a few of the women took the company to court. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we... We're trying to see the film. It was sold out, it was sold out when we when we tried to see it, uh, which is great. I mean, it's it's Good absolutely fantastic. Um, so, like, that was one of our, our big regrets from the film festivals. We haven't been able to see it. But um, can you tell us about the process of making the film and uh, like where where it began, like where the inspiration was, and uh, you know the, about the production? Sure. So, um, six and a half years ago, I had sort of stumbled into a job as a production assistant on a documentary, and I was researching searching the Manhattan Project and the history of the atomic bomb, and I stumbled across a phrase um, that, it, it was like a pretty boring part of someone's autobiography, and they were talking about health insurance for the for the Manhattan Project workers, and they said, well, of course, we all remembered the tragic dial painters of World War One in terms of taking precautions and I was like what are the tra- what is a dial painter what 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 tragedy and so I googled that phrase and came across the wikipedia page for radium girls and read it and I couldn't believe it wasn't a movie I could not believe I didn't know this story and um, a friend and I decided that we should write the movie and we um, we wrote the movie and we applied for this huge grant from the Alfred P Sloan Foundation that they did in conjunction with in partnership with NYU which we were both alum of and um, and we uh, you know a year and a half after after write, starting to write the script we won that grant um, for a hundred thousand dollars and that really like sort of set everything into motion in terms of helping us find nice. a great team 
Perfect. And I think Kirsten has some questions for you. Oh, this is great. Um, I am so fascinated with this story. Uh, similar to you, I, a couple years ago, I fell down like a long Wikipedia hole and I yes. researched this whole the whole story of the Radium Girls on the internet. I just find the whole thing fascinating and I'm, I'm so regretful that we didn't get to see the film. Um, but uh, I'm sure it's fantastic. Could you tell us um, what... Uh, any obstacles or challenges you've had going from day one to getting the film where it is today, ready to see? That's a great question. I think, I mean, the, the whole, for me, the whole process of making a film is like, is, is a series of challenges and a series of puzzles that need to be solved. And it's, it's, um, I think it's one of the reasons I'm so drawn to film is because it's constant, um, puzzle solving at every stage and at every stage it's different challenges to navigate and and um, you know in the writing first it's it's how do we tell this story in a compelling way and like what's the part of the story and as an adaptation how do you distill all of this historical information and 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 bring it to the story of a character or two characters and then you know and then and then there's like the financing of the project and like building a team who believes in this film and we were really lucky for this film that like because it's such a powerful story what happened to these women mm-hmm. that there were a lot of people who wanted to help us That's and support great. this film yeah. so then going back to day one is there one thing that you wish you knew at the beginning of the process that if you could go back and tell yourself now would have been really helpful Oh man, that's such a good question. I think if I had known at that point, actually, you know what? That's, I mean, that's just a, it's a really great question. I think I would have just been like, like buckle up. Like this is going to be a ride. Like this is going to be really hard and it's all going to be worth it. Mm -hmm. But like, don't expect this to be easy, Mm -hmm. but also expect this to be like all, everything you Mm -hmm. think it could be. That's great. It's great. And uh, and where can we find Radium Girls like social media presence and everything online? Sure. So right now we're on Instagram at, at Radium Girls Movie, and we're building the rest of our Facebook website as we speak. Nice. And are there any other film festivals coming up that you guys have, or uh, we have a few in the works? Okay. But perfect. Yeah. If you follow us on Instagram, <laughs> we will. Share all about it there. Perfect. All right. Well, thank you so much for your time and congratulations on the film. Uh, we can't wait to see it whenever we yeah. can get a chance to. <laughs> um, and yeah, best of luck going forward and, and congratulations. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Nice to meet you. Go take this. Yes. All right. I'm Matt and this is Kirsten from the Obsessive Viewer Podcast. Great. And uh, would you mind introducing yourself? Uh, introducing yourself. Uh, there's only one of you. And, uh, and telling us about the film. Yeah. So uh, my name is Denali Tiller. I directed the feature documentary Trey Mason Dasan. Nice. Uh, so it's about three boys who have parents in prison in Rhode Island. Mm-hmm. And it's one of the five documentary finalists here at Heartland. Nice. Congratulations. We Thank We you. saw a uh, trailer for it um, at the opening night mm-hmm. kickoff thing. And ever since then, I've, I've been wanting to see it, but I haven't gotten a chance to. Um, but it looks it looks incredible. Um, can you tell us a little bit about the process of, or what it, what attracted you to the project yeah. itself and the subjects? Yeah, so um, in 2015, I met a woman, Joyce Dixon Haskett, who was incarcerated for 17 years. Um, she, in Michigan, actually, she had two kids when she went in who were six and eight, and they're, they were 23 and 25 when she came home. So um, and her oldest son is still serving a life sentence. He was tried as an adult at 16. 
um, and has been in prison ever since. So when she got out, she really started looking at the mm-hmm. what happened to her kids and other kids when a parent goes to prison and developed a psychological model that was built into a parenting class at the Rhode Island Department of Corrections. So our world sort of collided, and mm-hmm. the film actually started um, telling ab- about her and her mm-hmm. story and her history. Um, but as I was researching her program and looking at the meeting the kids in the visiting hours at, at the Rhode Island Department of Corrections, I realized that there wasn't a film that told mm-hmm. this. First of all, children are really not part of the conversation around criminal justice, mm-hmm. um, the collateral effects of a person's incarceration. But on top of that, you know, films often, if, the, if they're about kids, are sort of from this top-down adult perspective of what mm-hmm. we think they're going through. So I wanted to really give them pass the mic, if you if you will, and, and mm-hmm. give them the opportunity to tell their own stories, to share their own experiences directly from their perspective. So that's yeah. that's really what the film ended up being. Wow. It sounds like it, it, you're giving a great voice to something that's not really reported on or, or, or given mm-hmm. a voice in this whole system. Um, it sounds remarkable, and I can't wait to see it. <laughs> and uh, I think Kirsten has some questions for you. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, this sounds like a really great film that is going to touch a lot of people in a lot of different situations. Um, it can Obviously, it can be something that could be difficult to talk about or mm-hmm. difficult to capture on film. Can you tell us what some obstacles or some challenges were getting from day one to getting the film ready to show? Yeah, of course. I mean, there are so many technical obstacles you go through making a film um and then when you're working with children that presents many obstacles Mm -hmm. in itself as well so but the film is really built out of our relationship with each other so that you know a lot of we had over 350 hours of footage and a lot of that footage is just us playing with legos and Mm -hmm. going to mcdonald's and hanging out and just you know having a really normal interaction with each other um so that they didn't feel put off um, the camera sort of just became a part of our relationship sure. and, and the film grew from there and they, they, I credit them actually in the film as, as filmmakers alongside me and, and it really was a collaborative process um, so and then you know they're their stories are they're very very different boys mm-hmm. different ages six um, in the film six eleven and thirteen years old mm-hmm. um, now they're eight thirteen and seventeen years old mm-hmm. um, but there were definite challenges within their storylines, trauma happening, um, you know, that we that we had to navigate very carefully and, and um, you know, so that they, they were safe and, and um, taken care of during those times yeah. as well. Yeah. So if you could go back to the beginning of this process, is there one thing that you wish you knew going into it that you could tell yourself? <laughs> um, I st- so I started this film when I was in school, actually. I was a... Um, senior in my undergraduate at Rhode Island School of Design. So I created a short film that grew into this feature. So I would say I knew like absolutely nothing. I mean, I probably knew something, but looking back on it, it feels like I knew absolutely yeah. nothing about filmmaking. So there are like many things, and now I teach actually, so there are many things I would go back and like teach myself how to do. And I've actually amended some of the curricula um, in the program that I'm teaching to like hit on some of those things that mm-hmm. I wish I had learned. That's great. Um, but yeah, because there's so much that goes into making a film. I mean, everything from the technical aspect and what equipment you're using to who's on your team. Like, what the heck does a producer do and why are they that important? Yeah. They really, really are. <laughs> um, and and then, you know, through yeah, how to fundraise, how to look for grants, like how to work with your subjects and make sure that, um, you know, everyone's feeling 
a part of that process in a, in a collaborative and in a respectful way. So, um, so that that didn't really answer a specific thing yeah, from your question, but it's answer, yeah. yeah, there there are many 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 things. <laughs> well, that's great, and congratulations on the film. Thank you so and, much, and everything, uh, all the success that you have gotten from this, I'm sure. Um, is, are there any other like festivals in line for it, or is there anywhere we can see, like social media wise, like any any uh, uh, social media yeah. links or anything? So the the film sound it sounds like a French title. It's not mm-hmm. Trey Mason and Dasan are the three boys' names. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can follow us. We're on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, um, or at Trey Mason Dasan, or at our website. Um, TreyMasonDasan.com I will spell it T-R-E-M-A-I-S-O-N D-A-S-A-N.com um, We're going to the Kukulors Film Festival in Wilmington in a couple weeks We'll be at Duck NYC um, and actually we're doing uh, broadcast distribution on PBS um, so our premiere oh, awesome. for that is April 1st Very cool, yes. awesome Thank you so much for your time and again congratulations on the film and uh, best of luck going forward Thank you so much Thank you, Thank you. Okay, and so those were all of the uh, red carpet interviews that I did, and that's all the interviews that we did at Heartland this year. Um, once again, thank you to uh, John and Emily, who were heading up the kind of PR side of things over at Heartland this year, and they were fantastic. Just just really great um, organization over there. And also thank you to Jason, from uh, who, who his, uh, he was repping care to laugh and he really set me up with uh, a great interview with with the people behind that film and i i was super happy with with uh happy to meet him and and them and everything um so yeah so now i'm going to kind of wind down um and review care to laugh which uh this was a movie that i was really excited to see because uh, kirsten and i saw the trailer for it um before or at the opening night or the kickoff party that we went to for heartland um uh, about a month ago and it just it was it looked like just such a charming and earnest documentary um that had just a really interesting subject this comedian is just a guy who's trying to take care of his uh, parents while also trying to uh become a like be successful stand-up comic and like this like i talked about it in the interview but his work ethic is insane um, but I'll, I'll get to that in a moment. Just, I do want to mention the actual plot description of it. Um, Jesus's world is flipped upside down when his mother, Adelaide, uh, Adelaide undergoes emergency surgery to remove a brain tumor. Although most aspiring comedians build their careers on the road, Jesus juggles his responsibilities at home in Long Beach with open mics and auditions in the Los Angeles area, often driving more than two hours each way every day. As the pressure of his budding career mounts, the family receives more devastating news. Jesus's father, Antonio, is diagnosed with stage 2 colon cancer. An only child, Jesus becomes his parents' sole caregiver. Transforming adversity into comedy, he uses his life experience as material for his routine. He continues to reach for his dream while taking over his father's landscaping business to keep the family afloat. When this catches the eye of the of producers of The Late Late Show with James Corden, Jesus may have scored the big break he's been banking on. So, Care to Laugh is just a very, it's, it's a lot of different adjectives. It's wonderful. It's inspiring. And it's very funny. Like, they, basically the filmmakers uh, followed Jesus for a year, and they basically 
compiled this footage into into a really tight narrative that I, I mentioned it in the uh, interview that I was just amazed at how how clean the narrative was. Like it had a clear through line from beginning, middle to end. And it's just, it was really, uh, really impressive the way that they were able to condense a year of Jesus's life into a film that, that follows a very clear narrative structure. And when I say very clear narrative structure, like in that plot description, when, when he faces his different trials and, 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 uh, and things crop up and everything, both good and bad, like you are so there with him during that. Like when he gets, news that he could be um on the late late show with James Corden which is a huge thing it's it would be his uh in the film it's his it's his late night debut i mean that is massive and you see you see the struggle that he has uh, maybe to say struggle is has a negative connotation but um or has the wrong connotation i should say as you see him juggle his responsibilities taking care of his parents and his his career as a comedian um it's just it's so inspiring that the energy he has and the work ethic and everything and the reason why just a couple minutes ago i stumbled when i said his struggles like i mean yes it is he does have a lot of hardships and everything but the reason why i hesitate to say struggle is because he seems Jesus as just a person, much less a subject of a documentary, just as a person, he seems like such a, a candid and, and very, uh, grateful and, um, I, he doesn't complain. And that's something that really stood out to me that like, he doesn't like he, he is, he, you know, he's struggling to juggle between, um, comedy and uh and taking care of his parents but he doesn't see, like it's it doesn't you don't get the impression that it's a burden to him at all like it is just it's what he does and that is the most that's that's the thing that really stood out to me is that it is not like he is burdened by his parents it's not like he is just it's not like he's sitting there like trying to think of ways to to um unload the caregiving, like, like he, it's not, the film isn't about him trying to find a way to, to, uh, have someone provide care, provide care to his parents. It's like, this is just something that he, that he embraces as just a part of his life and a part of his daily routine. And it's, that's something that's so heartwarming and uplifting as well, because you would think like, I don't know what this says about me personally, but like you would think when you have so many things that are working against, not necessarily working against, but when you have so many things that are um, taking precedence over you pursuing your dream, it could be easy to be like, well, maybe I can, maybe I can do it this way. Maybe I can, maybe I can focus on my dreams this way while maybe putting something else over and into this other corner, like hiring, like trying to find a way to hire a, a, a nurse to care for the parents or, or put them into a facility, like things like that. But that's never, that's never, um, brought up as a possibility in the documentary at all. And that's something that I just thought was just really 
an unspoken beauty to the film is that it's not a burden to him. It's not even an obligation per se. It's just what he does day in and day out. And that's what really makes this film really magical to me is that it's just, it's just this guy who has this creative outlet, this creative drive and this, these dreams that it's just, it's not like he's pushing them aside. It's just, he's, he's just, he's just doing it. He's, he's just doing his, his, um, doing what he can, uh, on both sides of it. It's just really inspiring. Um, that's the word I kind of keep coming back to is that it's just an inspiring film about, uh, about Jesus. Um, and like I said, in the interview, he there are moments where it goes into the kind of the process of stand up and the process of comedy that he, that he does. Like there's, there are things like he, um, he has like a dry erase board that he puts like notes on for, um, whether it's bits or for, uh, like a kind of a time frame for how he wants to get to eventually have enough material to have a one hour special. Um, you also see, the nerves that he has leading up to his, his late night debut and how he works through these, this, his material that he's going to perform on a national stage like that. It's just, it's, it's so straightforward and earnest And that. And that's another word that I'm going to throw around a lot is that it's just an earnest portrayal because it's not, nothing in this documentary feels like it is, um, manufactured or it, it, none of it feels like it's, it's inflated to increase the drama or to create drama within, within the documentary. It's just all straightforward. Things come up in the most organic way because that's how it happens. That's, that's what happens in his, that's what happened in his life when the documentarians were following him. Like things crop up and he has to kind of deal with them as they come, both good and bad. Um, another thing that I didn't mention in the interview, um, I thought that it was really, uh, inspiring, uh, and nice to see him have such a, uh, a good, healthy relationship with, with his manager and his kind of management team, um, throughout the film, like he has, uh, phone calls and meetings with, uh, his manager and it's just, it's just really nice to see him basically he has to turn down things or he has to work around his schedule with, with his home life. And it's, it's not anything that's like, Oh, well, if you miss this opportunity, this could be really bad. So you should try to try to work it in. It's like everyone understands what, what his situation is. And he understands what's important in his life versus what's, uh, what's, what could be like immediately gratifying. So it's just, it's just incredible. Like if you are looking for a documentary that is inspiring in the way that it, demonstrates how rewarding and amazing it can be to be a caregiver to someone who you're very close to and also showcase the incredible amount of work and um, drive that it takes to be someone that does like stand-up comedy for for a living uh, this is a great documentary for both of those things it's uh, I can't I can't speak highly enough that it's just it's just a beautiful documentary about uh, one man's dreams and, and his, uh, his drive to take care of his, his parents and my cat's walking on me. <laughs> uh, yeah. So that's kind of a, kind of a, I guess kind of brief review. I, I know that I probably should spend more time on it, but I'm hoping that I can get, 
uh, I'm ho- I'm hoping that in the coming weeks we'll have an episode where like me and Kirsten go through and watch some films and uh, I know we have links to a bunch of screeners so uh, I think the idea is that she and I will watch some screeners and then kind of do a, a, a Heartland post-mortem Heartland potpourri kind of episode where we talk about some of the films that, that played and everything but yeah uh, so to kind of wrap up because I, I definitely want to get this episode posted as quickly as I can. Um, Care to Laugh was a great uh, documentary, a great way to end the festival. It definitely speaks to the themes and the, the values that Heartland as an organization um, has toward, you know, uh, the film and, like, their kind of central message of... Uh, oh, she's looking at the recorder. <laughs> uh, the central message of... Or, uh, message and themes of Heartland. So, um, yeah, once again, thank you to everyone at Heartland that, that, uh, you know, helped out with, with, you know, (laughs) helping me and Kirsten and tiny see so many movies and, and, and do all the press things. So thank you so much. And congratulations to everyone at Heartland, uh, on another great film festival, another great year. And also I urge you check out care to laugh if, if you can, uh, links in the show notes to all, all everything so um yeah all right well i'm gonna go ahead and get this edited and then also if you're waiting for the sharktober and irvington episode that is going to be the next episode to come out probably um tiny and i need to record kind of the the uh, frame recording of it and then uh i think after that me and mike are going to do a double review of halloween 2018 and uh mandy so be on the lookout for that and, uh, yeah, after, oh, oh, uh, I should have said this, uh, also, um, after that, we're going to do another letterbox potpourri and I'm really excited because, um, it's still kind of in the works, I guess, but if you're listening to this and you don't use letterboxd, you definitely should because, um, in the coming weeks, we are going to be able to give, do a kind of giveaway that if you listen to the podcast, you'll have an opportunity to get a free Letterboxd Pro membership, which we spoke very highly of in, in past episodes where Pro gives you all your stats and, and everything. So, um, yeah, so follow me on Letterboxd at Obsessive Viewer and, uh, yeah, that'll do it for this episode. <laughs> Um, I, uh, it was just me tonight. So, uh, yeah, hopefully, hopefully I sufficed for you guys. Um, if you're a filmmaker and, uh, and you were at Heartland and you're checking, uh, checking us out, or if you're just someone from Heartland or that I met at Heartland that's checking out the podcast, thank you so much. Usually there's more people, <laughs> um, uh, other than me on the podcast, but I hope that you check out some past episodes and, and subscribe and listen to more. Um, yeah, having said all that, uh, thank you guys so much for listening and, uh, yeah, we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the obsessive viewer presented by obsessiveviewer.com. You can find more of our episodes at ovpodcast.com, and you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or anywhere else podcasts are found. 
If you'd like to support the show, the best and easiest way is to leave us a rating and a review on iTunes. More ratings and reviews means it'll be easier for people to find the show in the highly competitive film and TV podcast genre. It also provides us with valuable feedback on the show. If you'd like to donate to the podcast, you can make a one-time PayPal donation at obsessiveviewer.com slash donate or become a patron at patreon.com slash obsessiveviewer for recurring donations with different reward tiers. Every donation goes toward paying the fees to keep the podcast running and is greatly appreciated. For official Obsessive Viewer merch, including shirts, mugs, notebooks, phone cases, and more, visit our Tee Public store. You can also buy other great Tee Public designs in our store, and we'll get a small commission on the sale. You can find a link to the store in the show notes of this episode and at obsessiveviewer.com slash donate. The Obsessive Viewer's theme song is An Eclipse of Events and is provided by Loudlight from their EP, Mistakes We Must Make. You can find that and more great music from them on iTunes. And like their Facebook page at facebook.com slash loudlikemusic. Any and all feedback on the podcast is encouraged. We love to hear from you guys. You can contact us by emailing podcast at obsessiveviewer.com or by tweeting us at obsessiveviewer, at obsessivetiny, and at I am Mike White. You can also like us on Facebook and join the Facebook group at facebook.com slash theobsessiveviewer where you can take part in discussions and polls between episodes. For more podcast content, check out Anthology, Matt's solo podcast, where he's reviewing The Twilight Zone as a first-time viewer and exploring other classic and contemporary science fiction anthology TV shows. You can find Anthology at anthologypod.com and anywhere podcasts are found. For book lovers, you can check out our sister site at obsessivebooknerd.com for book reviews, author spotlights, and a general celebration of reading. Finally, if you're philosophically curious, check out Tiny's side project podcast, The Secular Perspective, which explores the concepts of faith, religion, and existence from the perspective of secular hosts Chad and Amanda. You can find that at thesecularperspective.com and subscribe to the podcast on the app of your choice. Once again, thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. Kitty!